Welcome to The Productivity Show, the Asian efficiency podcast dedicated to helping you make the most of your time, attention, energy, and focus. In this episode, Tan and I discuss the topic of FOMO, or the fear of missing out. FOMO is a very real thing with major productivity costs, and in this episode, we help you understand and solve it. We talk about what FOMO is, some of the common causes of FOMO, the symptoms of FOMO and how to tell if it's affecting you, and share nine tips to help you overcome it once and for all. Don't forget that you can find links to everything that we talk about and share in the show notes by going to theproductivityshow.com slash 132. And now, on with the show. Today, we're diving deep on a very important subject, the fear of missing out, or FOMO, as we're going to refer to it throughout this episode. And this is a major problem facing just about everyone in some way, shape, or form. And with me to help you solve this problem for yourself is Tan Pham. You ready to dissect FOMO and talk about how to beat it, Tan? Yeah, let's do it. I have not seen anybody else in our industry, in the productivity space, talk about FOMO and really how to overcome it, how to address it. And it's not a topic that's often talked about. So I'm really excited to talk to you today about how to address this because it's a serious problem. And if you have any sort of sign of FOMO, you will really want to listen to this episode. Yeah, I think a lot of people like to think that they don't deal with this, that this applies to everybody else. But if we're honest with ourselves, we all deal with this to some degree. So maybe let's start out by defining what we mean when we say FOMO or the fear of missing out. Now, the actual dictionary definition of this is the anxiety that an exciting or interesting event may currently be happening elsewhere. It's the fear of having made the wrong decision on how to spend your time, as you can imagine how things could be differently. So if you are doing something, maybe you're in a meeting and you feel like you need to be monitoring your inbox at the same time or checking social media because you don't want to miss out on some crazy deal that may be in there or the latest happenings, then you feel this fear of missing out and you feel the urge to, even in the middle of maybe a very important meeting, pull out your phone and check Twitter or check your email. That's kind of how this manifests. When I think of FOMO, I know some people think about it as a, oh, I'm going to miss out on this amazing party or ah, it just applies to kids and high school kids and people are really young, but it actually applies to everybody. Like my little brother deals with a lot of FOMO. He's, he's 18 years old, just finished high school, is in his first year, first year of college and uh, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of like meetings and meetups and, and parties and stuff and he always feels like he needs to be everywhere so he doesn't miss out on the fun things he's always on social media checking stuff just to make sure he's on top of things and when people think of FOMO people often think about all the fun things that are happening in life that they might be missing out on and how they spent their time but from a productivity point of view there's a lot of ways this manifests itself and like you mentioned Mike email is a big one when you are constantly checking your email, that is FOMO because you have this fear of missing important emails, whether that's you know an email from your boss, whether it's from an important client, whether that's a special deal that's time sensitive. There's so many ways that it manifests itself. And in other ways, um, might be that you know you're checking social media all the time, you're checking Reddit. I mean, there's so many different signs of FOMO. Like my personal favorite one that I used to deal with all the time, and I'm sure a lot of people can, can relate to this, was if I'm working behind my computer and I'm a little bit bored, what's the first thing I do? I open the browser, and usually I have it open right away. I press Command-T, which opens a new tab. I press F, and I hit Enter without even thinking about it, and all doing it in <laughs> less than a second. And what happens then? I go to Facebook.com just to check out what's happening there and stuff like that, or Maybe you're open like Instagram or Facebook on your phone and you're just like refreshing all the time just to see what's going on there and just mindlessly doing stuff. That's also FOMO. So if you're just checking your phone all the time, checking news updates and notifications, these are all signs of FOMO. And how does this affect you? Well, guess what? You're not as focused. You're procrastinating. You're feeding the procrastination monster that's inside of you. And you're just wasting time. You're just not focusing on what's actually important. So there's a, a lot of ways that this does affect you. 
I like that term procrastination monster that she used, uh, because any one of these things, if you were to view it in isolation, isn't necessarily bad. Like you mentioned your brother, the things that he's got the fear of missing out on are probably not bad things, but we live in a time where we don't have to worry about necessarily where our next meal is coming from or the physical threat of a predator that's trying to eat us. <laughs> so what do we do? What do we fill, fill the gap with? We fill it with social media and ways to stay connected to people. And it just is death by a thousand paper cuts. Uh, social media posts, uh, Facebook, you mentioned Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, there's new social media networks launched pretty much every single day. And I like this note that you put in here about how we live in an attention economy. So attention is a valuable currency for marketers and businesses. They are trying to get your attention. They are trying to develop this habit where you are constantly checking these things. And all of that kind of adds up to the average smartphone user checking their phone 110 times per day. So it's not necessarily that these things are bad, but when you add them all up, it ends up being a significant time investment and these things really don't add a ton of value to your life. And that means that you're spending a lot of time pursuing these things that really aren't that important. And if you're not careful, you have no time for the things that really are important. So kind of getting into why FOMO is so bad, there's a very real time and productivity cost associated with all those interruptions and the distractions. Uh, one research study, which was done by the Wall Street Journal, showed that it takes, on average, 25 minutes each time you're interrupted to regain your focus. So every time you get a notification and you check to see what someone wrote on your Facebook wall or what someone who mentioned you on Twitter you know, actually said, uh, it takes 25 minutes to get back to where you were. Plus, if you were really in the state of flow, if you were in the zone, it takes an additional 15 minutes to get there. So that means that you spend up to 40 minutes regaining productivity after each one of these interruptions. Yeah, that's pretty bad. <laughs> it's just, if you understand that any sort of interruption, anything that throws you off has a huge cost associated with it, then you'll start to really value your time more. And FOMO is just one of those things as well. Like if you always think in the back of your head, oh, what might be happening right now? What am I missing out on? How, am I spending my time correctly right now? Is this really valuable? Is this the most important thing I should be doing? Like those kind of thoughts are all expressions of FOMO that is really throwing you off, which then doesn't allow you to really focus and you you know, you have to get back to getting into that state again, which might mean that you have to meditate for a bit or calm yourself down and do all these little things that just to get in flow again. And as you as you just saw and heard from Mike, it just takes a long time. So you really want to make sure you don't have this issue whatsoever. Yeah, and the real source of this is feeling like you are being feeling like you are caught up with whatever you happen to be interested in, whatever you happen to be a fan of. And you invest pretty much as much time as you can into keeping up with those things. One of the things that we talk about at Asian Efficiency is Parkinson's law, where whatever time you set aside for something, that's how long it's going to take. And a lot of the FOMO stuff, these are things that fill in all the cracks and they'll fill the entire crack, the entire uh, time period that you have between what you should be doing, you'll spend on social media or you'll spend in email. But if you were to look at all the information, all the things that we try to keep up with if we are honest with ourselves, if we look at our actions, not our intentions. It's physically impossible. Uh, I did some research for this episode and I found that every second there are over 6,000 tweets on Twitter. There are over 40,000 Google searches and there are over 2 million emails sent every second. So we have to be able to say at some point, enough is enough. And in fact, as far back as 2010, Eric Schmidt, the, the CEO of Google, said that every two days we create as much information as existed altogether prior to 2003. And that was in 2010, and technology has come a long way since then. So it's really impossible to keep up with all of this user-generated content. We think we want to see what our friends are doing on Facebook and Instagram and stuff like that, but we want to make sure that that stuff doesn't replace the things that are really going to move us 
towards our goals. In fact, uh, Eric Schmidt, same article said, I spend most of my time assuming that the world is not ready for the technology revolution that will be happening to them soon. That was a very prophetic statement. And a lot of people are not ready for what has happened with technology. Okay. So Mike, I'm going to throw you a curveball here because this is not in the show notes, <laughs> but <laughs> since, since Mike Schmidt's did or Eric Schmidt <laughs> did say this, I'm really curious how do you prepare your kids for something like this where there's so much information, there's so just so much coming their way? How do they just not deal with FOMO? What's the thing that we can teach our kids about dealing with FOMO, what it is and how they can best address this? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And really what it comes down to is curating or editing your life, whether that is in email, social media, information, whatever it happens to be. One of the things that I am intentionally trying to teach my kids is when it comes to technology, show them that technology itself is not bad. Don't say that well, because you have access to all of this information and you can spend all of this time just consuming all of this information that this is bad and you shouldn't touch it. Uh, that's not effective. But I want to teach them the right way to approach the technology. If if you can approach the technology through the eyes of a producer instead of a consumer, you can use the technology to create things that can actually add value to other people's lives. But if you are constantly in consuming mode, if you're just hopping to the next YouTube video or the next show that pops up on Netflix, you will never get around to producing anything. So that's that's our approach. I like the analogy of being a producer versus a consumer because... When I think back of my own examples of where I'm a consumer, I start to realize how much of how much of my lunches are a huge waste of time. <laughs> so just to give you <laughs> an example of this, whenever I have lunch at home, and I work from home, as, as everybody knows, I pull up my iPad Pro, the, the big one that I have, the 12-inch, and I put it in there and I start you know, browsing through pockets that I want to read. Um, through YouTube videos that I want to catch up on, maybe even live TV that's on there. And I and I go through it as I'm eating uh, my lunch. So sometimes I'll do it mindfully and I'll just say, okay, I'm just going to focus on my lunch and then get back to work. Sometimes I'll say to myself, oh, let me just catch up on stuff and, and see what's out there. But oftentimes what then happens is, you know, I finish my lunch and I'm going to continue to consume all these videos and articles that are in there that are not necessarily really productive use of my time. And that's just another example of FOMO again, is that, oh yeah, there's all this amazing stuff, all this amazing content out there. I'm just consuming, consuming, consuming while I'm really should be at my desk getting some work done, stuff that is actually important that matters. And that's like, now that I've been talking about it, I start to realize, oh yeah, a lot of my lunches are 45 minutes and could have been easily 30 minutes if I really, you know, was on the dot about it. <laughs> right. Uh, I recently read a book called The Shallows. And in the book, they talk about one of the things that really creates, that really just exponentially multiplies this effect where you just jump from one thing to another thing to another thing. And then pretty soon you've invested hours into really nothing is the fact that with hyperlinks, it's very easy to completely switch your context. You know, if you're reading a physical book and they mention something, they mention another article, you have to physically go pick up another book or you have to physically go get that other article in order to see additional information. But on the internet, it's real easy because you just click the link and bam, you're, you're somewhere else. And you can follow those chains and you can get lost real quick and invest hours and hours of time that you never really intended to invest because there's so much information out there. So another statistic that I found said that there were 4.4 zettabytes of information in 2013, but that's set to grow to 44 zettabytes by 2020. Now to put that in perspective, a zettabyte is equivalent to 44 trillion gigabytes. So 44 trillion gigabytes of information times 44 by the year 2020, which is a lot of Facebook updates. <laughs> that is a lot of Facebook updates. <laughs> so let's talk about some of these other signs that you're dealing with FOMO. You mentioned one earlier where you hit Command-T to open up a new tab and you type in F and Facebook pops up or 
R for Reddit or E for ESPN, but what are some other signs that you may be dealing with FOMO even though you don't realize it? Well, I think checking your phone all the time is a huge red flag. So like you mentioned earlier, checking it 110 times a day is pretty normal nowadays. And uh, that's like the first thing I would say is checking your phone all the time. So if you do that, if you're guilty of checking your notifications, checking text messages, um, any sort of social media update, that's like a huge red flag. The other one I would say is just constantly refreshing your favorite app or website for new updates. So if you're inside Instagram or Facebook or Pinterest and you're just refreshing, waiting for new stuff coming in, that's another sign of FOMO. And, uh, and I think that's really easy to fall for. And I think everybody to some degree falls for this. So, you know, don't feel bad about this. And, you know, I, I do this myself sometimes. But uh, just be just be aware that little things like this do happen and that you might be, you know, going down this little rabbit hole. Another one I would say is just checking your email, uh, social media, whenever you, like, whenever you have a, a spare moment. So this could be like at... At a traffic light, this could be at the grocery store when you're standing in line, when you're waiting for the doctor in the waiting room. Um, anytime you have the, like pockets of time, when you have this urge just to check stuff, whether that's email, social, whatever, that's another sign. Yeah, Sean Blanc calls these the just checks. And I think this is really telling because you don't realize that you're doing this stuff. Your brain just gets conditioned to always consuming this information. And so whenever you are somewhere where you are bored, it's actually really good for you if you were to stay in that state. But uh, we tend to fill in all of those gaps with something. So like you mentioned, at the traffic light, standing in line at the store, see what your default is. If you're like me, (laughs) uh, just being honest here, you'll probably reach for your phone and go to check your social media or your email or something like that. Uh, another sign that maybe you're dealing with FOMO would be that you have to see everything that is in your newsfeed or timeline. So a term for this would be a Twitter completionist, and I have to admit that I tend to fall in this category. So here's a really simple litmus test that I think everybody can test to see how not only addicted they are to their phone, but also how much FOMO they deal with. And it's very simple. Can you leave your house for 10 minutes without your phone? Let's say, for example, you want to pick up some groceries or you need to pick up the mail outside or whatever. Can you actually leave the house for 10 minutes without carrying your phone with you? So literally just leave your phone at home, put it on the table and just walk away knowing that it's there and just leave the house. Can you actually do this? I will bet you my MacBook Pro that 99% (laughs) of people will not be able to do that. True. Yeah, I, I I know that sometimes when I'll go walk the dog or whatever, and I forget my phone, I, I feel I feel naked almost. It's like, oh no, I left my phone at home. What what's going to happen? You know, it's it's the FOMO raising its ugly head that you have to consciously choose to to fight against that. Yeah, and, and this is something I started doing once a week because we have this farmers market here right across from where I live. And I literally just go down for like 10 minutes just to grab some tacos and uh, come back up and then eat them. <laughs> so it takes, takes like 10 minutes to do. Just go down the elevator, go outside, pay for it, and then come back. And I remember the first time I walked away from my phone, I was like freaking out. I was like, oh, my God, like, where's my phone? Did it get stolen? Where is it? Like, you know, I'm, I'm freaking out. Like, did I miss like important text messages and stuff? And when I came back, like nothing happened, like no calls, no text messages, no updates whatsoever. It was completely fine. And slowly over time, I just kept doing it every single week. Every Saturday when I bought tacos, I just went downstairs, left my phone. And over time, I became so less reliant and I kind of conditioned myself to not rely on my phone and just push away that FOMO that it became really easy that I do even do it more often now. So for example, whenever I go to dance class, which is also next door and it's for like an hour and a half. I literally just leave my phone at home, go to class and then come back and feel totally refreshed and not feeling like I missed something or I felt attached to something. So it's something really easy to work on 
something very practical you can do. But uh, yeah, try it out. See if you can leave your house for 10 minutes without your phone. And if you do this more and more and more, you'll start to realize it's actually not that big of a deal. And you start to realize like all these other things you're worrying about or might be missing out on is actually not that bad. Yeah, I'm reminded of the episode we did on lifestyle productivity when you're talking about about that. And it kind of occurs to me that a lot of people will use the phone as a crutch in some sense where that's their connection with all of the outside world. But if you can flip the switch and overcome FOMO, you can actually put it in its place in your lifestyle productivity system where you can use it for those things that are beneficial. But when you know that it's completely okay if you go get tacos and not check your phone, that you're mastering the device and not the other way around. Another thought when you're telling me that story is that it must be nice to live in Austin, Texas, where everything you need is within one city block. <laughs> well, yeah, if you live downtown, <laughs> that definitely uh, <laughs> makes a big difference. Like the other, uh, the other thing that I do with my friends is whenever we go out for dinner, uh, we all put our phones on the table and stack them up so that uh, if anybody does check their phone, they literally have to put, you know, take it away from the stack of phones that is there. So um, we don't do the whole thing of, oh, the first person who takes away their phone has to pay for dinner kind of thing. Uh, although I do like that idea, but <laughs> we, don't re- <laughs> we don't usually do that. We just say, hey, let's just put our phones here because it, it kind of makes, f- makes you feel better if you are the first person who grabs for their phone. And this is just another way of forcing everybody to be really present and just enjoy each other's company and not worry about what's happening with our phones. I really like that idea. And I like the added incentive of the first person to check their phone having to pay for dinner. <laughs> yeah, we don't usually do that. But, it, you know, just being the first person who has to check their phone makes them feel guilty enough that they usually won't do it. Right. All right. So we talked about some of these sources of FOMO. Uh, let's talk specifically about email. I know for email, it's a really, really big problem to the tune of American workers spending 6.3 hours per day dealing with email. A lot of that is just checking email because of this FOMO. So when it comes to email specifically, you might be dealing with FOMO. If you feel like you have to check your email constantly, even though you know you shouldn't be, you find yourself checking it unconsciously. It's ingrained in your muscle memory. Whenever you sit down at your computer, Uh, you've got all the tools, but you're still worried that you might be missing something. Maybe you've got too many accounts to keep up with. So you're constantly switching back and forth between them. Maybe you're unable to decide whether something is truly important or not. You find yourself scanning your inbox for the things that are urgent. You feel resistance when you go to archive a message because you're scared to let that thing out of your sight. You're not able to resist peeking at those new emails when you get those notifications or you feel like you can't turn those notifications off in the first place. Uh, You're worried about missing out on those flash sales and online deals that I mentioned earlier, or you're too scared to hit the delete key, even though you know you won't do anything with this particular email ever again. Uh, Do you want to talk a little bit about maybe some of the sources of FOMO? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of sources out there that can cause FOMO. So the obvious big one is this just never-ending stream of potentially important information. So this could come from your phone. This could come from your inbox. This could come from all the website that you frequently visit. There's just so much information out there that uh, it's really easy to feel like you're missing out on stuff. Um, Another thing is just related to the whole social aspect is when you have a lot of friends who do really cool stuff, it's another way to feel FOMO because you might feel like you're missing out on really cool stuff. And especially with things like Instagram stories and Snapchat, it's really easy to feel like you're missing out on things because everybody is showing a cool highlight of what's going on instead of all the bad stuff. So you always feel like, oh, you know, I'm at home working and everybody else is having a good time. And it's just something that you have to deal with, unfortunately. Yeah, that's a really good point that you made, uh, specifically about social media, which is a big source of FOMO. You don't want to miss out on things that you that other people are doing via social media, but a lot of the stuff that people post on social media is just one side of the story and they put their best foot forward. And I know I can't find any links right now, but I know that there's been uh, research that's been done that shows that using social media a lot actually can make you more depressed because you see all the positive things and you see none of the negative things. So your friends, you know, you see the pictures of when they're out, out to eat or at a party, whatever, and they're having a lot of fun, but you don't see 
all the mundane day-to-day stuff, all the stuff that typically goes wrong. And then you compare this facade that you see on the internet with your real life situation, and it can very easily make you depressed. So another reason not to be sucked into those things. Yeah, I've I've read some really interesting articles about how this generation, Generation Y, is the most depressed generation because of what you just said. Because there's just so much exposure of, oh, look at me, I'm doing cool stuff. Look at you, you're not doing this. You should, you know, do something about your life because it could be so much better, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it's like, right. oh man, I feel really bad because... I part of it, you know, I am victim of this myself and a producer in some ways as well, uh, because I tend to post only the fun stuff that I do as well. Um, not so much the bad stuff because I don't, I have a, I have a really short term memory. I, I, I tend to forget the bad stuff right away. And other people usually have to tell me all the bad things that have happened <laughs> in my life. Uh, but also when I see other people having fun, fun times, I don't necessarily feel the the FOMO necessarily because I usually have the option to do all these things as well. But it does trigger this innate feeling of like, oh yeah, yeah, this this looks like fun. I, I could be doing this as well. But one thing that really helps address this is really knowing what your goals are and what your priorities are. And I know mm-hmm. we're going to talk about like tips for overcoming FOMO, but this is like the main thing I find working for me and for others that I've worked with is that if you really know what your purpose is and what your goals are, then it's easy to reject or say no to things. And I'm sure most people who listen to this have heard of this concept before, but in in the sense of, or in the context of FOMO, I think it's really easy to explain. So to give an example, I was in Los Angeles not too long ago to visit my family for a Chinese New Year. And uh, I saw all these other people that I knew um, doing really fun stuff with their family and um, doing amazing things. And I was there literally just visiting them, you know, spending time with my family and also getting some work done. Uh, But they were, you know, they were doing all this fun stuff with, you know, their families going out and stuff like that. But it just reminded me that, hey, you know what? I'm here to spend time with my family and that is the most important thing. And that is the purpose of this trip. It's just, it's just to spend time with them. And uh, when I was thinking about that, it was just really easy to say, okay, you know, good for them. Good that they have a good time as well. Uh, but I'm here to focus on my family and that's the most important thing. Or when I'm sitting at home and I'm working on stuff, I see all my other friends doing fun things in Barbados and Miami and Las Vegas and having a good time. I always remind myself, hey, you know what? I'm working here because I'm trying to reach this goal with Asian efficiency. I'm trying to reach my personal goals as well. And this is what I'm focusing on. And when I focus on something, I have to reject everything else because I'm focusing on this one thing that's going to bring me most happiness, fulfillment, and, and get me closer to my goals. And just like, you know, if you're like trying to lose weight and you're trying to get in shape, when somebody hands you, you know, a platter of burgers and sliders and, and chips and guac, if you really focus on achieving your goals, it's easy to say no to that meal. And it's the same thing with your goals. If you are really focused on what you want to achieve and what your goals are and kind of like your purpose in life, then it's really easy to reject all the other things that are coming your way, such as the FOMO stuff, all the things that don't get you closer to your goals and things like that. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think with social media specifically, if you don't have your own goals or your own vision or your own why, it is very easy to look at other people and say, oh, they've got it so much better than my, than I do. But if you have that vision, if you have that purpose, if you have that why, and you know what you're working towards, then you don't get sucked into the fairy tale and you don't feel as bad about your specific situation. So it's not that all of this stuff that people are are living a lie, so to speak, but you just have to recognize that they're only showing you the good things. They're not showing you the 12 hour days that they're spending building their thing to get to that point. But that stuff is very real. So you have to take it with a grain of salt and not get sucked into it. And then also once you have your why you have your vision, you have your purpose 
then you can work backwards from there and decide how am I going to accomplish this? Well, I've got to do this thing, this thing, and, and this thing. And then you've got to have a system in place. And really that is the real key, I think, for all of these different sources of FOMO is that if you have a good system in place, you don't just leave this door permanently open for distraction and interruption all the time. But when you go and unlock your smartphone 110 times per day and check all of these different social media feeds and check your email all the time and you spend 6.3 hours per day dealing with email, which is what the Huffington Post indicated, then that really is showing that you have a lack of confidence in your system, that you can't trust your system. And so you feel like you have to babysit it all the time. Yeah. And I know we have a lot of tips coming up and I like the first one that you mentioned, just trusting the system, because that is essentially the long-term solution that allows you to effectively implement something that kind of protects you from dealing with FOMO. And so if you can build a system and have it in place where you really trust it, then FOMO is not going to be that big of an issue. And that's this is why OmniFocus uh, is so powerful. And if you use it the right way, you can capture stuff right away. You know that all the stuff you captured is not going to dissipate, go away, and 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 you know maybe that you had this like grandiose idea and, and you forgot about it. No, it's it's in your system. You trust it. It's there. You're going to work on it at some point. So having a system in place, not only for email but also for task management and all these other things we always talk about, like your calendar and stuff like that. If you have a trusted system in place, then it's really easy to put yourself at ease, so you don't worry about all this FOMO stuff. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I think, the big reason why the whole getting things done or GTD methodology has been so successful. It's not that this is the be-all, end-all of systems, but it's very approachable. And people who have never applied a system to their lives before, they can apply at least pieces of this and start seeing results. And then once you start seeing results, it's like, oh my gosh, how in the world did I function without this system in place? Yeah, what's funny about GTD <laughs> is that if you look at the most used aspects of GTD and why people consider it successful, it's because they learn how to capture something. That's yep. like the most important aspect and the one aspect that everybody usually masters of GTD because nobody masters the weekly review unless you're with Asian efficiency. <laughs> right. Everybody else is really all gung-ho about capturing stuff. And that's just... It's such an easy thing to do and such a quick win, but also it addresses the FOMO thing that we talked about. It's just knowing, having confidence that you have this simple system in place that addresses this. And that's why I think our OmniFocus course has been so successful is because it teaches people a system for managing your life so that you know everything is handled, which then allows you to focus on the bigger things and not worry about you know all this FOMO stuff and all the things you might be missing through the cracks and missing out on important tasks and things that are overdue. Because once you have the system in place and you trust it, you know that everything is at ease and it helps you sleep better, it helps you focus, it doesn't stress you. Um, and this is why I also think Escape Your Email or Email Management course is so powerful as well because we teach you a system for how to manage your email so that you never miss out on important emails uh, that you're always on top of email and if you do have important emails you need to attend to quickly we have a system for that as well that you can trust so just building those systems and then learning how to trust them over time is such a huge key to all of this so i definitely if you don't have any systems in place, you know, we have all these systems inside our courses that you can get, but that's like the major, major thing that we really try to teach people and really what we offer at Asian Efficiency. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I never thought about it that way before, but I think you're right. Like there's five different steps to GTD. And as soon as people start implementing the very first one, the capture phase, that really is a game changer because it is the first step to flipping the script where you're not living in what David Allen would call emergency scan modality, where if you don't have a process for capturing all of these bits of information and these thoughts and ideas that you have, they'll go in one ear and out the other because you're constantly just scanning the horizon, looking for that next fire that you need to put out. You know, you can't keep track of everything and it causes you to forget things and it causes emergencies and fires to pop up. And then you deal with them as quickly as you can from that point. 
But as soon as you start capturing these things and you put them somewhere where you know you're going to get to them later, then that is a huge burden off of your back and you don't have to worry about that stuff anymore. And you're free to focus on things and dive deep into things and actually do things that will move you towards your goals instead of just putting out the the latest fire. And one of those inboxes, obviously you mentioned would be email, but it's important also to identify all the other inboxes that are in your life. Your task manager may be an inbox, your physical mailbox may be an inbox. I mean, those are the ones that I would say everybody has to deal with. I use drafts on my iOS device and NVAlt on my Mac to just capture ideas before I even get them into my task management system. So those would be additional inboxes, but a lot of people I think never even take the time to identify all of those places that they have to manage, which is the first step, obviously, to getting your system to a place where you can trust it. Uh, Second tip here is kind of related, and that is once you've identified those inboxes, be okay with missing out on the things that really aren't that important. You don't have to check every single input that is presented to you. And one of the things that I I wrote down here was, would you rather know what happened in season four, your favorite TV show, or launch that business that doubles your yearly income? And we don't view it that way a lot of times, but really all you have to do to be successful is do the right things repeatedly. And if you're okay with missing out on something, you know, whether that's keeping up with the Kardashians or whatever it is that you're trying to keep up with, you know, you can create time and space to take action on your dream or vision. And then it's just consistently doing those things that move you in the right direction. And then eventually you're going to get the results. There's not a limited amount of success out there. (laughs) Just because I'm successful or you're successful doesn't mean that somebody else can't be successful. All you have to do is do the right things and you will get the right results. Yeah. It's not a zero sum game whatsoever. And one thing that will help with this to, to make it easier is when you, like I mentioned earlier, can focus on something, it's much easier to be okay with missing out on stuff. And a simple example of this is, as everybody usually hears me scream about the Lakers and when they win, I, I love the Lakers. That's my team. Like, I wouldn't say I called myself a diehard fan, <laughs> but I'm a pretty uh, enthusiastic Laker fan. And I want to watch their games as much as possible, even sometimes when it's really late. But also, I I know from my personal productivity point of view that if I stay up late, I wake up later, and then usually my next day is not as productive as it could be. So sometimes when the Lakers play pretty late, I have to miss a game because... I want to go to bed early. I want to wake up early and focus on what's actually important, which is you know growing Asian efficiency. And so I'm half. I have to be okay with the fact that I'm going to miss out on an important Laker game, so that I can focus on my bigger goals. And I'm okay with that. And it took me a while, and you know, it took a little bit of adjustments to, to do that. But over time, it, you know, especially when it's the regular season, it's not that big of a deal. You can just right. you know wake up and say, Alexa, did the Lakers win? And she'll tell you exactly if they did or not. So uh, you still get the same information. But uh, like like I said earlier, if you know what's important to you and you can focus on it, it's going to be much easier to be okay with missing out on certain things. Right. So that was number two, be okay with missing out on certain things that really aren't that important. Number three, we talked about a little bit, but it is important to denote this as a separate item, I think, and that is be selective about your inputs Be selective about the inboxes that you have to check on a regular basis. So be selective about the social media accounts maybe that you use. Uh, One of the things I did in the last year, I would say, is I am pretty much completely off of Facebook. I don't have it on my phone anymore just because, in my own personal opinion, Facebook tends to be everybody that I used to know. Those are people from my past, and some of them I do want to actually maintain connections with, but a lot of people that I'm quote unquote friends with on Facebook, because I don't take the time to curate that all the time uh, and maintain that. It's it's people that we've gone our separate ways. So I don't need to see all of that stuff. Whereas Twitter, because I'm intentionally picking the people that I want to follow and there's no reciprocity there, they don't have to follow me back in order for me to see their their updates. Uh, that's kind of people who I want to surround myself with. That That's kind of my future, if you want to think of it that way. So that's one of the things I've done is I've just been selective about the social media accounts that I have available to me. And it's based off of the fruit. I mean, 
I got my job with Asian Efficiency through Twitter. So <laughs> obviously that particular social media platform, I've got a soft spot for. I think a lot of good can come out of that. But you can pick you know, any of these things and, and any social media platform that you might land on. Maybe you really are a Facebook fan. That's completely fine. Just recognize that if you're going to invest in Facebook, then that means that you're probably going to have to not invest in something else. And there's a lot of these products, a lot of these social media networks from a product perspective, they are developed to get you into the habit of checking their inbox all the time. There's actually an entire book devoted to this, which is all about how to build habit-forming products. We'll put the, the link to this in the, the show notes. But uh, from a product perspective, you have to understand that Mark Zuckerberg doesn't care if you're addicted. They want you to be addicted. They want you to be in Facebook all the time, checking and seeing what's what's going on and posting your own updates. Yeah, and if you've been visiting Facebook lately, you know that there's a notification for every single thing. Like whether somebody went on Facebook Live, whether it's a memory that you had a couple of years ago, or maybe somebody hasn't posted in a while and they start posting right away. Like they're really building stuff just to get you hooked on just checking out stuff and just driving this FOMO monster inside of you. So they have, you know, scientists, psychologists all working there just to make sure that they're going to be building stuff to get you hooked. So it's important to know that and um, just to be aware of it, but also at the same time, just recognize that, okay, if you're going to use this platform, they're going to try to quote unquote trick you into coming back all the time because that's essentially what they want you to do. And, um, you know, it's something you have to deal with. And if you like to use Facebook, then you just have to accept that they're <laughs> doing this all the time and you have to check these notifications all the time. But at the same time, if you can lower or have fewer inputs in your life, like fewer accounts, fewer platforms that you follow, you start to limit the damage, quote unquote. Yeah, there's, there's trade-offs with all of this stuff. I mean, there's trade-offs when you use Google products. Everybody knows that Google doesn't charge for a lot of their products because what you are paying for, is, how you are paying for those products is in the data that they are getting from you. And, and a lot of people are completely fine with that, that trade-off because the value that they're getting from the products and services in their opinion is worth the decreased privacy. If you want to think of it that way, they think they've got nothing to hide and Google's not going to do anything with their, their data. Some people for their specific situation, they're not okay making that trade-off and they use other programs that will not sell data. So one uh, example is instead of using the Google search engine, you could use something like DuckDuckGo, which is a very popular a very secure search engine that is kind of built its core business on the fact that they're not Google. Uh, but that's not to say any one of these things is the right thing. But you did mention something regarding Facebook where they have notifications for everything. I think that's a very important point, And it kind of leads into number four, which is turn off your notifications. Now, a lot of this stuff that I put under here, I actually stole from you and the research that you initially did for this. Uh, so maybe do you want to talk about this one? Yeah. So the way they built notifications in their products, and when I say they, it's the big companies like Google, Facebook, Twitter, all these big platforms, is that they essentially want you to get hooked to checking out new stuff all the time and just driving this FOMO. And if you want to get a little geeky, basically what it does is it triggers a dopamine hit in your brain. And uh, as you might know, dopamine is like this feel-good feeling, this pleasure chemical that we have. And every time you check this notification, you get this like little bit of a high of like, oh, yeah, this, okay, I feel like I'm on top of everything now. And uh, the more you do this, the more addicted you get, the more you will continue to do this, right? And so if you continuously just keep checking notifications and uh conditioning yourself to this well guess what you're going to keep doing this and it's going to get to the point where you just don't even think about it anymore like a like a pavlovian dog you're just going to go back there and just click on that little red badge and just see what's in there and then move on with your day uh, versus you know being in control of where your attention is going and what you're doing next so you just want to make sure that without getting into the whole geekery thing of everything is that you want to limit the number of notifications you get. And the easiest place to start, honestly, is with your phone. So go to your phone, turn off all notifications. I know 
you're going to call me crazy. <laughs> uh, you're going to freak out. But if you turn off all notifications and change your mindset from having like having this device telling you what's going on to I'm going to tell the device to tell me what's going on, you're going to see that you're going to be dealing with less FOMO. So in technical terms, you basically want to turn off push notifications and you want to have pull notifications. So instead of having an email notification pop up every single time there's a new email, what you, have, what you want to do is turn off the push notifications so that you have to open the email app to then check what the newest emails are. And this goes for every single platform that you have. So just making that shift, tweaking those settings will be a huge, huge productivity boost. Yeah, definitely. In fact, this is a separate separate point. No, so number four was turn off your notifications. Number five, specifically, you mentioned use pull notifications instead of push. And so specifically, the way to do this on an iOS device would be to go into your settings, to go into the section where you have mail, and then you can tap on accounts. And I believe it's fetch new data. That's probably going to be set to push. You want to turn that off and then you can go into any of your accounts and you can choose between fetch or manual. Uh, and fetch is fine as long as you go down to the fetch section and it, it'll you can choose how often you want to fetch. You can do it every 15 minutes, every 30 minutes, hourly or manually. So every 15 minutes, 30 minutes or hourly, that's still going to be push notifications. It's not going to be as often, but it still gives other people the window to interrupt you from what you're doing. So what you want to do is you want to change fetch to manually. And then what it will do is whenever you check email on your phone, uh, you will have to explicitly go into your email account and tell it to give you your new messages. So you won't be distracted when you're in the middle of something. And I'm sorry, Android users, I don't know how to do this on an Android device, but I'm sure the process is very similar. The principle is the same, that no matter what sort of device you're using, email is a to-do list that other people can write on. So using pull notifications instead of push, checking email on your own terms is very important because you don't want to let other people interrupt your flow for something that is not important. Yeah, so let's uh, move on to the sixth point which is using full screen mode. And I know you're a big fan of this, Mike. Can you explain what you mean with this? Sure. So on the Mac specifically, uh, pretty much every application that I use regularly has a full screen mode, which means that it hides everything else. So you don't even see the menu bar unless you move your mouse to the top of the screen. You don't see the icons to close the window, minimize the window, or maximize the window. It just fills up your entire screen with whatever application you happen to be using. And so I do a lot of writing for the blog when we're doing show notes, uh, when I'm writing scripts for videos and products that we're going to be developing. And the app that I use when I write is Ulysses, which is an application that is based off a of markdown. It's a plain text editor. And so when I open up Ulysses, what I will do is I will hit control command F, which is kind of the universal shortcut. It's going to be a little bit different maybe for some applications, but a lot of the applications that I use, that is the keyboard shortcut control command F. And that will, uh, that will make Ulysses fill up my entire screen. I've got dark mode turned on. So it's a, a black background and, and white plain text that I'm going to be using as I as I type and it, what it does is it makes me focus only on the words that I am writing. And uh, another key to this before I actually go into full screen, I guess I should back up a little bit is that uh, I turn notifications off on my Mac as well when I do this. So that means even the banners that would pop up, uh, not just the sounds. And there's a very easy way to do this on the Mac where if you go to the upper right corner where the notification center icon is in your menu bar, you can hit option and click on it. And then you'll see that the notification center, which is like three black lines and three dots will turn gray. And what that does is it, it turns on do not disturb. So I'll do that. I'll option click on notification center. I'll open up Ulysses, make it go full screen, do my writing. And I know that that way I will not be interrupted for anything. And then when I'm done, I'll exit full screen, option click, turn my notifications back on. 
Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of using full screen apps as well, especially when I do any form of writing. That's like the thing I really want to do first is open up ByWord, put it in full screen, and just start writing so that any sort of notification can be dealt with later. My phone is turned off and all this other uh, stuff so that I can just focus on what's ahead of me. So I'm a big, big fan of the full screen mode as well. I want to add something here, though, where we've been talking about email in a negative context. Email isn't necessarily bad. And this is actually a really good approach to dealing with your email as well. If you have your email client in full screen mode, leave it closed. Don't open it until you're ready to deal with email. But if you follow our method for email and you actually have like a calendar event or you've blocked out time on your calendar to deal with email, uh, then go ahead and open your email client. Make that go full screen and then just crank on your email until you're done with it. But don't just leave it open in the background. Every time a new message comes in, you hear that ding, jump over from your web browser or whatever you were doing, check and see what it was, maybe deal with it, maybe not, maybe decide, oh, that looks important. I don't want to deal with it right now and let it sit in your inbox, which is what most people do. Uh, if you actually just focus on and deal with your email, you've got the system in place like we talked about, it really doesn't take that long. So let's talk about the seventh point, which is staying focused on your goals. So this is something I mentioned earlier, is that if you know where your goals are and what your purpose is, it's really easy to reject everything else that's going around you. And so if you don't have any goals or vision for yourself, the best place to start, honestly, is to <laughs> first figure out where your goals are. So um, a couple of books or resources that I would recommend is Four Goals. I think the 12-week year is a really good book because it teaches you a system for actually achieving your goals. And by having a system in place, plus just a simple goal-setting exercise that's in the book, it allows you to focus on something and actively work towards something as well and keeping track of it as well. So the 12-week year is a great book for this. Um, the other one, if you're a little bit more advanced and you want to find a little bit more purpose in your life, I want to say uh, this book by Jim Lore called The Power of Story. Uh, you just read, you just have to read the first half of the book because the second half of the book is more about energy management. But the first half of the book is really, really good for finding your purpose and kind of like figuring out what you're kind of meant to do and what you're good at and combining all of that. Uh, another good book kind of related to this is by Cal Newport of So Good They Can't Ignore You. I think that's a really good one as well. Love that book. So uh, if you want to get started with any of this, those are the top three resources that I would recommend. So again, if you know where your goals are, what your purpose is, it's really easy to reject you know, anything else that is around you that is not helping you get closer to your goals. So whether that's FOMO, whether that's a distraction, a notification, Stay focused. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you mentioned, I should say, I've learned from you the, the story of the, the tree and the, the hedge maze and using that as a focal point. That's really what, what goals do is they make sure that you're moving in the, the right direction. And so to kind of retell that analogy here on the podcast, like if you're in a hedge maze and you can't see the exit, the thing that you can do is you can identify something in the background that you know is near the exit and then you can kind of orientate yourself towards that specific thing. And that's what goals do is they make sure that you're moving in the proper direction. As long as you're moving towards your goals, then you know that the results are going to be there at the end. And I completely agree with every single one of those book recommendations that you uh, you just gave here. Uh, the next one here, number eight, is to learn from your experiences. So it's okay if you mess up, but don't continually mess up. <laughs> Look at what you did wrong and fix it. <laughs> so that you don't repeat the same experience over and over and over again. And I believe you've got a story maybe you want to tell about this? Yeah, so part of this is just maturity. And what I mean with this is not just getting older. What I mean with this is just through experience and missing out on stuff, you'll start to realize it's actually not that big of a deal. And this, if you're somebody who journals a lot, you should realize this very quickly when you review your journals. So if you're not journaling already, I highly recommend you start journaling. 
And this this is a relatively easy ritual that you can pick up. And we talk about it a lot inside our rituals course and on the blog. So if you just Google Asian efficiency journaling, you'll find a podcast episode about this. We have a couple of those. Uh, I believe episode number two is a good one about that. And we have another one with Kendra about this, but also a bunch of free blog posts and video training that you can use right away for getting started with journaling. Because as soon as you start journaling, you start reflecting about things. And especially if you start to write down all the FOMO stuff that you're dealing with, when you reread your journal, you start to realize, oh, it's actually not that bad. Like life moves on, you know, nothing bad happens. And if anything, you probably got closer to your goals if you stay focused. So you start to realize over time, just through maturity and experiences that FOMO is not that bad. And once you start making that connection in your head, then it's really easy to start dealing with it. So, if you aren't journaling already, highly recommend you do that um, because that's kind of what I realized over time is that a lot of things that I'm dealing with when it comes to FOMO is just not that bad. And I kind of realized that we're journaling, but also when it came to email, there I'm kind of notoriously known for not checking email for weeks at a time. And whenever I do a big cleanup of email, whenever I do that, so of not checking email for two or three weeks and then I clean it up, I start to realize, oh yeah, it's, it really wasn't that important. Uh, most of the stuff could be answered, you know, through a phone call if it was really that important or could be replied to later. And you start to realize, okay, email is actually not that important. And, you know, part of it is because the way we set up Asian efficiency, where if you have to email me, you're probably not doing it right. <laughs> because <laughs> you're probably better off just hip chatting me or sending me uh, a message uh, online or in Jira or uh, in Confluence, because that's where I'm on top of things. But when it comes to email, like it's not that important. That's you know partly a, a company culture that we kind of built here at Asian Efficiency. But at, at the same time, anybody who really needs me should call or text me, and they know that. If, you're, if you don't have my number, you're probably not that important. So then you'll have to email me and you'll just have to wait because there's more important things for me. And you start to realize over time that you know it's not that big of a deal. Right. It really comes down to priorities and what you've decided, and I would argue rightfully so, is that email is not going to be a priority. You're not going to make sure that all of these people who don't have a very significant role in your life can determine how you spend your day. And maybe you're in a position where you can't really define those priorities at this particular moment, but it applies to a lot more than just email. You have to be okay with making these trade-offs. You have to recognize you've got a limited, finite amount of resources, especially your time, that you can invest and spread out between all of these different things. And then from there, you can determine, well, maybe this one really isn't that great of an investment. I haven't really gotten anything from this. And for a lot of people, that <laughs> that is the role that email plays. Number nine here kind of goes along with this, uh, and that is to understand the value of your time. If you understand what your time is worth, you will have a lot harder time spending large chunks of it doing things that really add no value to your life. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about maybe the process for how to find the value of your time? Yeah, there's there's so many ways you can kind of figure it out. Um, like You can say, okay, if you work 40 hours a week, and, uh, or 40 hours, uh, yeah, 40 hours a week, you know, 116 hours uh, a month. And then, you know, times 12, you kind of figure out what your number of hours are, divide that by the, uh, the dollar amount that you make every year. And that's like, a, you know, a dollar amount per hour that you can make. Like if you want to use that simple formula, uh, there's actually a quick way to kind of ballpark it. So if you take your annual income, you remove the three zeros at the end. So let's say it's like $70,000. You remove the three zeros. Um, so you leave, you're left with 70. And you divide that by half. That's 35. So that's roughly your worth of dollar per hour. So if you know that your hourly worth is, let's say, $35 an hour, then it's easy to then kind of like calculate not only what your time is worth, but also to figure out everything else you're missing out on is it worth spending $35 an hour doing other stuff. And so if you know what your time is worth, it's really easy to then mentally calculate very quickly if you're, especially if you're a very analytical person, to understand, okay, is this actually worth doing? 
because uh, it doesn't take into account, you know, opportunity cost and, and all these other things, strictly, you know, dollar per hour kind of output. And um, if you're focusing on something and you see somebody else, you know, having a night out with some drinks and having a good time, but, you know, they're spending four hours somewhere at, at, at a restaurant, they're waking up the next day hungover, they're probably losing like six, seven hours because of that, you know, times 35, it could be in the hundreds of dollars, right? Is that really worth doing just to feel okay or better about yourself? Probably not. So there's a lot of ways you can use this. And if you know by just ballparking what your hourly worth is, then it's easy to decide, okay, what you should be focusing on and what you should either eliminate, delegate, or give to somebody else. So there's less stress about it. Um, All the things when it comes to like, distractions and knowing that okay if i lose just half an hour on my ipad because i want to continue to watch more youtube videos that's 17 and a half dollars wasted literally just wasted that i should be focusing on doing other things so if you're a very analytical person this approach works really well because you start to see everything through numbers and uh, if you're a very creative person this approach does not work whatsoever (laughs) so understand that but if you're very analytical you understand numbers you'll start to see very quickly what is your time worth is everything else that's coming my way worth x amount of dollars if not don't do it focus on what's ahead of you and anything really that brings you closer to your goals should be top priority yeah and when i first heard about this approach to figuring out the value of your time i thought that it didn't really accurately describe the value of your time because it only took into account your working hours and if you work in a corporate environment that maybe is the case where you've got set number of hours that you work every week and you really can't adjust what you're doing during those hours but it's becoming more and more common. And in fact, I think in the the next several years, uh, the statistics show that over half of the workforce is not going to be employed by a corporation or something like that, but they're going to be self-employed or freelancers, something along those lines. And when you view, view it through that lens, or maybe even like a side project lens, you have to take all of this stuff into account then it's easy to understand that, yeah, I am spending all of these hours watching TV or whatever in my my personal time, and that does have a very real cost. Uh, and I guess the point I'm trying to make here is that if you work in a office uh, situation specifically, or you have a, a job that you go to and, and you clock in, you clock out an hourly, it's easy to gloss over this, but don't do it. Uh, and one of the things that I would recommend is start tracking your time. This is something that I've kind of dug into as we're working on this, this new course. And I'm, I've been using a couple different time trackers just to identify specifically how I spend my time and not just how I spend my time when I'm supposed to be working, but literally all of my time. Uh, there's a, an article on the, the blog, which is a little bit older, but it's, it's a great intro to this whole concept and really understanding that, wow, it does take me a couple hours every day to eat my meals. So Maybe that is a, a time slot where I can be multitasking to, to some degree. Maybe that is the time where I'm completely okay, like you mentioned, uh, watching some videos or going through my RSS feeds or checking social media or something like that. But I'm going to limit it to those specific times. But if you can't measure it, then you can't improve it. So that would be step one, I would say, is start using a time tracker uh, and really understand that everything that you have to do within in your life, whether it's personal or professional, that there's no work-life balance really that's that's going on here. There's not these separate buckets anymore where a lot of people say, well, this is what I'm going to do or this is what I'm going to do uh, personally. These things are interconnected. So there's there's work and, and there's life, but you really have to just balance all of this stuff. It's up to you to make this all work. If you're working too much you're, and you're not spending enough time with your family or a significant other, then that's going to have negative consequences and vice versa. You know, if you're not showing up for work because you're at all of these family functions, uh, and then that's going to have negative ramifications in the arena of your job. So you really have to understand all of this stuff and understand the, the, the landscape of what you're working with, because the reality is that we've all got the same 24 hours in a day 
And some people just understand how they're using it and they make tweaks to their systems and they, they do it more effectively and they take more action on their goals than other people who maybe they feel tired at the end of a long day and they just want to zone out and they end up watching TV for three hours after they come home from work. Uh, but there's a couple takeaways here. Uh, you want to walk, walk us through these? Yeah. So the first thing is figure out what your time is worth. Second thing is figure out what you are okay with not keeping up with. Third one is delete those things from your smartphone. And four is enjoy less stress and increase productivity. <laughs> nice. All right, so there you have it. Our nine tips for overcoming FOMO. We'll run through these again real quickly. Number one, get your system to a place where you can trust it. Number two, be okay with missing out on certain things that really aren't that important. Number three, be selective about your inputs. Number four, turn off notifications. Number five, use pull notifications instead of push when you have to. Number six, use full screen mode strategically. Number seven, stay focused on your goals. Number eight, learn from your experiences. And number nine, understand the value of your time. So that is our deep dive into FOMO, the 21st century fear that is holding you back from being uber productive and our nine tips for overcoming it. While we don't have a specific dojo topic devoted to this, it is one of those things that crops up all the time, whether we're talking about focus, deep work, email, or even books that we want to read. So the tips that we shared with you today can help you overcome FOMO in all areas of your life. But if you want to chime in on the discussion, we'd love to have you join our online productivity community, which is the Asian Efficiency Dojo. Now, the dojo is currently closed to the public, but we have a special offer just for podcast listeners. If you go to theproductivityshow.com slash dojo, you can get access to the online community plus the growing library of video content for an entire month for only $1. There's new video modules that are added every month, so the library continues to grow, and we've even got some exclusive software discounts now for dojo members on some of our favorite productivity apps like BusyCal and Hazel for the Mac. If you'd like to surround yourself with other productive people who can help you achieve your goals and get access to the Asian Efficiency team via our private Slack team, once again, the address to do that is theproductivityshow.com slash dojo. You can also find links to everything we discussed in the show notes by going to theproductivityshow.com slash 132. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next Productive Monday. Productive Monday.